Stand by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsey. Ah, this is Craig Morgan. And you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. Welcome in. We have got a lot to cover, a lot to talk about as we are uh, through a little bit of the hunting season as, of course... Uh, big game now underway. We've got all kinds of, uh, bird hunting happening. And Justin Benfit from, uh, Wyoming Game and Fish Department is going to give us an update on things that are, how they're going in the field. These, uh, these guys and gals at Game and Fish spend a lot of time in the field during, uh, October, November, December. So we'll, uh, we'll get in on the info there. We've got an update on what's happening over at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. We've had people reach out and ask about how to submit the CWD sample. Uh, we have your answer coming up. And Jim Crowley just finished up his uh, first full season at uh, Wired to Fish. He's got a, a great show. It's all about fishing, and we'll get in with Jim. He's doing some duck hunting right now. We'll see how he's doing. Let's roll through the show. What do you think? Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Anything goes. Extra fun. Woo! My Country 95.5. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. All right, Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. We are rocking and rolling, and we're uh, almost over in uh, Halloween month of uh, October, which it's wild. And on the phone, Justin Benfett with Wyoming Game and Fish Department and Justin, it's hard to believe hunting season has been open for quite a while now, and there's still quite a bit of time left. You know, in the Casper area, we actually, our hunting seasons run for quite a while. So we've actually had some busy antelope seasons that open on September 15th. So depending where you are, like say west of town, we've been at it for over a month now. And then that kind of rolls into some elk seasons and and, uh, other antelope and deer seasons open October 1st. And then uh, October 15th is also a really busy opener for us. That's probably our busiest with a bunch of deer seasons around Casper opening up. You've been out into the field the entire time here. And how are things looking so far? I know you guys are doing some of the check stations. And what are your thoughts so far? You know, as it's been in the past few years, I'd call it a mixed bag. Generally speaking, you know, around here, our our mule deer and, and antelope numbers are a lot lower than we would like to see in a lot of cases, um, and certainly what the public would like to see. You know, in general, animal densities, especially with, with deer and antelope, are down compared to where they were a few years ago. Elk hunting has been a little bit of a, of a challenge this year with this just unbelievable warm fall weather we've had yet again. This is the second year in a row. It's a little bit tougher on elk hunters when, when those elk uh, don't get pushed around too much and they can kind of hole up in places where they're safe. And so some of the really good news is, is, is based on the forage production that we had this year with some better spring moisture, um, late summer, fall moisture, that sort of thing. Um, we've got animals uh, in really, really good shape that we've checked so far, and we've got really good fawn production that we've seen so far with, with our deer and animal populations. So hopefully we'll have another couple years like it and we can our populations can kind of get to to rebounding because it's been a a low production couple of years are they smaller in stature or are they growing just fine it's just not as many of them well it's actually kind of that it's usually 
it's usually the contrary. When you have less competition or less animals on the landscape, there's more resources available. So they're actually in better shape because of it, those that survived. And, you know, and a lot of it, of course, is, is sure predicated on how much um, what we had for forage production. One of the things that we really key in on when we're when we're checking hunters in the fall and, and, and checking animals is just what kind of body condition, you know, nutritional condition these animals are in. And, and that's the good news here is, is uh, the animals that we're seeing so far appear to be in really, really good shape. So they should be in there in the winter with a lot of groceries on their back in terms of body fats and that sort of thing. Do you think we're on the upswing of maybe having a couple of good years? Yeah, we are. I mean, I, I think it's been a successful season. You know, the deer hunters actually did pretty well around Casper this year. With And a lot of that, again, was due to the weather and some of it. Um, some of it also we had a few more, you know, we definitely had a few more deer around um, this year compared to last year. So populations are on the uptick. But again, we still got a long ways to go, I think, before we get to where we'd really like to be. As we're continuing through the hunting seasons, Game and Fish uh, has check stations so that, uh, you know, people can kind of give you information about what they're seeing and what they're going through. And, and uh, you never know where these check stations are going to pop up. You don't. You know, we had a, you know, hunters in the Casper may have noticed a really big one that we had last weekend on Highway 220 in Bessemer Bend. Sometimes we do those really large scale check stations and then, and a lot of times we do just small little impromptu check stations. They could be a few hours on a Tuesday afternoon or a, or a Friday evening. You just never know. You know, we try to, try to mix it up, but, but usually we have a game plan in mind, you know, when we, when we run these check stations, we run them for multiple purposes. I mean, first and foremost, it gives us a great ability to talk to hunters, connect with the public, see how hunters are doing, how their seasons are going, what they're seeing for wildlife, that sort of thing. And that all helps us paint a picture when we're formulating future management recommendations, you know. In addition to all the data we collect on the populations themselves, talking to hunters is, is a key part of that. And so check stations are a really good way to do that. But in addition, you know, we can check for some compliance with, you know, make sure folks are complying with hunting regulations and that sort of thing. And then perhaps most importantly, check stations are a good way for us just to see wildlife that are harvested. So it lets us get our hands on those animals, assess those animals, and also in cases where we're collecting disease samples, um, pull biological samples. So, for example, you know, the big one around here is chronic wasting disease. So check stations are a great way for us to get those CWD samples. Does everyone need to stop, even if I'm out bird hunting, do I need to stop at these check stations? Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately sometimes can be a misconception with folk, with members of the public. Yeah, if there's a check station up there, you know, you'll notice on the signs it says all hunters must stop and, and that is a regulation. You gotta stop if you've been hunting, whether you've harvested anything or not, whether it's bird hunting or big game hunting or, or whatever. So yep, you are required to stop. All right. Well, Justin Benfed uh, Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Of course, you want more information, you can go hit them up, wgfd.wyo.gov. Well, Justin, I hope the rest of the season continues to go uh, in a good, positive way and have a great, great week. Um, I appreciate it, and you do the same, Drew. It's aimed to Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. My Country 95.5. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors, and Janet... As always, we take questions from our listeners 
And we had a question that says, okay, I get the sample. Well, how do I know exactly what to do with it? We talk a lot about a sample, a sample, a sample. Well, what is it? Is it a chunk of meat? Is it the hair? What do you need to submit for chronic wasting disease sampling? Well, it's a lymph node. On our website, um, there's some pretty good handouts that'll show you what a proper lymph node looks like as opposed to some of the tissue that's con- that's commonly submitted where people think there's lymph node, like salivary gland and um, muscle tissue and just some other things that are commonly submitted. Thyroid happens to be one that's pretty common. Get onto our website, look at that video on how to collect your own sample. Uh, those lymph nodes are really deep in the neck. You need to cut all the way past the jaw to find them. It's a bit of a um, mission when you first start it, but it's one of those things that if you do it once, it becomes much, much easier uh, subsequent time. So the first one's rough. After that, it's not so bad. So um, again, on our website, once you've collected the right sample, then um, there is a submission form that you can print off that asks your name and license number and where you harvested it and the sex and the species and all that. And then you can send that either directly to the laboratory and our address is on the website, or you can drop that off at one of the local um, game and fish offices um, and they will ship it to the laboratory. Awesome. Sounds pretty easy. Thanks again, Hank and Janet. Get to wgfd.yo.gov to find out more. And hunting outdoors, my country, 95.5. All right, Brian. So when you, you come into Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, obviously you don't want to uh, leave without anything you need because if you're going down on a, on a trip or maybe you're hunting out of the area, you want to make sure that you have everything in working condition before you go because you'll be stuck and you guys can uh, help them out in many ways. Yeah, we've been uh, mounting a lot of scopes and boar sighting a lot of rifles right now and and then just really the camping stuff, you know, the, the single burner stoves, the, the pads, the cots, the backpacks, the sleeping bags, you know, th- those categories are really uh, coming in play right now. We're really getting into 30s and even I'm seeing like mid to upper 20s over the next few nights, over the next couple of weeks. So uh, being warm is definitely something you want to make sure when you're going out in the day and then it warms up. So you got to layer up. Yeah, layering up is the key, right? So having a good pair of uh, socks that are going to be wicking the moisture away, you know, those those uh, smart wool, the danners, um, those socks are going to keep you nice and warm. And then uh, just making sure that you're layered up and, you know, maybe ready for an afternoon uh, thunderstorm, but also ready for frost in the morning. You got to love fall and spring in Wyoming because you never know what you're going to get. It's it's a great time of year. It's like Forrest Gump around here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you have talked to the last couple of weeks about how you guys got the game bags and you've got everything to haul that the animal out. And, of course, we did talk a little bit about uh, the, the knives when, you know, you got to have a good knife with a good edge on it or you'll be there all day yeah you know in the in the back of the field i mean you want to try to carry as little as possible and so you know carrying carrying grandpa's old buck knife is great you know but then that generally means you're gonna have to carry a knife sharpener with you as well but if you don't want to do the knife sharpener you know scenario then there's a lot of uh, good outdoor edge or havilon knives that have the replacement blades so you just carry an extra blade with you slip it on in the knife and you continue on you know i've had a couple of people ask me uh, about those and are there 
there actual blade refills instead of buying the whole knife again? Oh, yeah. Yep. And the nice part is the quality of the blade that's in there, uh, you can sharpen it if you want. So uh, they're not necessarily disposable, although I think most people probably do dispose of them. But when you're in the field, uh, usually it comes with a sheath and a few extra blades, and you can just swap them in, swap them out, keep the old blade when you get back home, sharpen it up again if you want. Otherwise, you can buy a replacement package of blades for about a dollar a blade. It's not a bad deal, especially when you're getting high quality. and makes that uh, skinning out really easy. Yeah, and those those blades are all, you know, like a, a 60X stainless steel, just like a, um, a doctor would use in a scalpel. So uh, they're very sharp and very reliable and uh, definitely our best sellers. So once we've got it packed out and we've gone through the checkpoints and the check stations and we've got it tagged up and we're getting home and we start to, to uh, process it, uh, you guys have all the processing equipment here too. You don't have to really go anywhere else because you can get it here. Right. And, I, and like I like I tell uh, a lot of people is that, you know, what your investment is to, you know, buy the grinder and the, the parts and pieces that you need to process your animal is going to be real equivalent to a one-year processing fee at a, at a butcher shop anyways. And that guarantees you that you're going to get your animal back. You're going to get uh, it packaged the way you want it to be. Um, and so you buy yourself a nice grinder and you've got, you know, a grinder that's going to last you a lifetime. And so you mentioned you pay the one fee for the one year and then it just keeps giving back and back and back every year. It, it certainly helps reduce your cost year after year. And then you start charging all your buddies to come over and <laughs> use it. Well, it gives them a reason to come help you anyway. Yeah, right? right. Yeah. Uh, get out of here and check it out. They've got everything you need from seasonings to smokers, uh, the grinders and all the packaging materials here. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. All right, back in the show. And, of course, you can listen to all of our episodes in the My Country 95.5 app. It's on demand 24-7. It's uh, also an easy way to get to it is MyCountry95.5.com. And over the time, this is uh, we're well into season number two and over the time, my buddy Jim Crowley has been a guest on this show many times. I like to keep up to date with him and kind of give you a different perspective of different areas and what they're fishing and hunting. Jim Crowley, welcome back in. Oh, my friend, it's glad to be here. Well, Jim, hunting season here has been in for a little while. Bird season is in. And you actually just back from Green Bay and you were fixing up some of your famous duck wraps. Yeah, world famous by at least two or three people really like them, you know. So no, we uh we had a great time up there. We that's usually how we start our hunting season. Besides teal hunting, uh, we start the the big duck season if you want to call it that. Uh, the diver duck season up in Green Bay every year, and usually go with between ten and fifteen guys. And everybody has layout boats, which are those little gray boats. I know you've seen them, but if some mm -hmm. of your listeners aren't familiar with those. Uh, they're, they're really cool. It's, it's a really old way to duck hunt, but it's, it's an incredible way to have the ducks really in your face. It's a small little one man boat usually. And then you have the other two or three guys in a tender boat, which are back and you can contact them by radio. So your little boat is actually in the spread of decoys. So when the ducks come through until you sit up, they have no idea you are there. And the other morning was one of those duck moving days. There was a north wind. The birds were coming in and all 10 of us were done pretty quickly and then just got to sit in the layout boat and watch bluebills 
and mergansers and some other ducks just land around us and it was it was just one of those it was just one of those special days a lot of fun so not only do you do some hunting but fishing has been your love since you were a young chap when your dad would take you out on the on the water and you just fell in love with it and now you've turned it into a business where you do you have jim crowley outdoors you are on uh wired to fish which is a, a great network that they're right. airing all of your shows so it's just busy for you yeah it is a wired to fish tv started as a streaming service branching off of wired to fish which is which is arguably the largest resource for fishing worldwide and now we're on i think seven or eight different streaming stations with plex being the biggest one and plex is a free app so you can go there i know my show is on every day monday through friday 2 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Central time. And then they just added spots on Saturday and Sunday for me. So we do about 13 episodes a year. I'm just starting season two between that and the podcast, Slick Fish Radio, which is growing quite a bit too. And then all the social media stuff that you got to do for different companies. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm not complaining. This is, this is what I love to do. So it was a, it was a really exciting year. We had a lot of big fish. Uh, we had a lot of great shows and, and I'm looking forward to, uh, 2023. Now, most of your fish are bass. That's what, what you aim for the majority of the time. Jim, fishing for bass is your main source of fishing, but walleye and pike and whatever you're fishing, you kind of do it all the same, right? And in, in some, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I mean, in most cases, walleye are a lot more pelagic of a fish than say a largemouth is. But if you compare them to smallmouth on certain times of the year, especially in river systems, they have a tendency to gang up in some of the same places. We were just up in La Crosse and we with the water being real low, we were encountering walleyes and smallmouth on the wing dams. And where current was breaking over the wing dams, it just depends where the food is, right? But you can be throwing a jig and wrap or an X-wrap, which is what I was throwing, size 10 X-wrap. And occasionally you're catching walleyes in with the smallmouth. You know, fish are fish, and the first thing they need is food. They need food, security, you know, whether their home is deep water or out of the current or whatever. The fish are more concentrated on what they are feeding on than the type of cover they're holding on. So they're, they're especially feeding up for the winter. Now all of them, you're going to find majorities of the different species of fish in the same areas because they're relating quite simply just to the food. Are you working the baits and working the rods and reels the same when you're catching the smallmouth as you are the walleye? Or you know, are, are you just basically doing it exactly the same as you normally would? Now, now the jig and wrap can be the same for everything because a jig and wrap is quite is, is simply just a reaction bait. It's a chunk of lead that started out as an ice fishing lure, and now guys realize that you know, and the Linder's actually Allender was the one who actually brought it to popularity. That probably one of the number one baits that will outfish live bait. On a, on a majority of the cases is a jig and wrap once you learn how to fish it. And sometimes it can be just an up and down motion when you're over the top of the fish. If you're trying to attract fish, then it's more of a pulling motion and getting that bait to fall. I've even been told by members, I've been with Rapala for 15 years, and even the guys at Rapala are convinced the color does not matter. It's the action of that lure. And size 7 and size 9 are the most popular. Size 7 for me overall is is the best size. And a lot of times now you're just going to jig it and they react to it. So you go to jig again and they're already on there. It, it is completely a reaction strike. And when they're feeding in the same type of areas, one cast you may get a walleye, another one you may get a smallmouth. So that doesn't change. The jerkbait action stays the same. The colder the water is, the longer I have that pause in between. Hair jigs are a little bit different. With walleyes, hair jig or uh, walleyes like them pumped and smallmouth like them reeled really, really slow. 
But those three baits this time of year have all been consistent for me with both smallies and walleyes. Jim, where can people find your show and find out more about you? We should be all over the place. I think we're one of the first things. If you look up Jim Crowley Outdoors on Google, you'll find that. But you just go to jimcrowleyoutdoors.com. That's the webpage, and that will tell you everything about our podcast, about where you can see the show. And then, of course, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube is all Jim Crowley Outdoors. Awesome, Jim. Always good to talk to you and catch up with you, my friend. Maybe we'll get you out here and you can do some fishing here in God's country out here in Wyoming. All right, you can catch him, like you said, jimcrowleyoutdoors.com. That'll get you everywhere you need to go. Listen to all of our episodes on demand. The My Country 95.5 app.